I, I want you to imagine for a moment that you and your spouse um, have some errands to run. You're, you're going to be gone for a couple hours. Or if you're single, maybe you have errands to run and uh, you're watching your nephew or your nieces or what have you. And you tell them the rules, your kids or your nephews and nieces, you tell them the rules, don't do this, uh, do that, and don't destroy the house, for example, etc. And then you come back from running the errands, and not only did the kids uh, follow exactly all your rules, they did the laundry, even dried and folded the laundry. They did the dishes without you even asking. That wasn't even something you asked for. And not only that, there is a warm, cooked meal right there for you. Can you imagine something like that? It probably never, would never happen, but that, see, for, uh, for a lot of us, that, we, would, we would react like, that is way beyond my expectations. If they simply followed like half the rules, like when my kids were younger, that would have been something I'd have been okay with. But the fact that, that they went way beyond your expectations uh, just blows you away. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. I'd like you to turn to that this morning. And he's, he's talking about, um, it comes to this end after it's where he talks about, in verses 16 through 19, he's talking about the fact that Christ is the king of our lives. He dwells in our hearts. And also we, we pray and we experience him. And then also putting down roots in God's love. All these great things. And then he comes to the end. And it's a doxology. And I'm actually going to be using the King James Version. I grew up with that. I don't think I've preached from the King James in a long time. But uh, I think it also uh, uh, is accurate to the original Greek. It says this, Now unto him, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power, power that worketh in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus through all ages, world without end. Amen. So this is like the exclamation point of chapter 3. And we've been going through the series in the book of Ephesians, if you're new this morning, where we've been, like, in a sense, coming along the Ephesian Christians who received this in the first century. And Paul talks about a number of things, but what he talks about, really, the theme of a new day, that we can have a new life in Christ. It's a new day for the Ephesian church. And they began as a small uh, cluster of men and women. And then over time, by the second century, was the most influential church in the Mediterranean world. Ephesian, the Ephesian church was the center of Christian, the Christian uh, community. And had a big influence on the Galatian church, for example, and the Philippian church, for example. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, I've shared this before, her last days were spent in the, with the Ephesian church in Ephesus. You actually can go to see her house. It's in modern-day Turkey. And uh, John also, uh, the disciple, was taking care of her, and his tomb is actually there. And he wrote his three letters from Ephesus. So it was a very important uh, city. And Paul is talking about this new day, and then he talks about this life and the fact that we have this life in Christ, and then as, as we experience that, we come to what are the, like natural uh, results, that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, way beyond our beyond. As Phil Schreier says in a great book called God is Able, I encourage you to write that down. It's a phenomenal book just on these two verses, God is Able, Phil Schreier. And I think when I think about that and think about that, that God does that and can do that in our lives, um, the question that I've been wrestling with this week is why? 
Why would God do this? How about just simply, God is able to do what we ask or think? Okay? That'd be enough, wouldn't it? But what, why does he want to go beyond our expectations? Why does he want to go way, way beyond what you and I ask or think? Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. I pray your anointing upon me and this sermon, Lord. And unto you, God. Unto you, God, who is able to do more than we can ever ask or think. Immeasurably more in one translation. God, I pray that um, we would think about that and our hearts and minds be open to what you want to do in our lives. That you want to go beyond our beyond. And God, help us. Help us to um, remember that. But also help us to recapture that in our faith and our lives. I pray that this sermon wouldn't just be another sermon, God, that people would walk away impacted and changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. So why? I'm going to spend most of the sermon on verse 20. I'll get to 21 on my third point. But the first one is why. And I like you to fill this in. Number one, because God is at work. God is at work. Look at the verse, John 5, 17. When he was asked a question about his father, he says, my father is always at work. My father is always working and so am I. So why does, why does God do this? The exceeding abundantly above all? Because that's what he does. Because he's at work in this world. And I've mentioned this before. The uh, deist view is that God is somewhere else, up in the far cosmos, uh, not really involved in the world, maybe sleeping, and then when the alarm goes off, uh, Christ will return, and then we'll have the rapture and the second advent, we say, and, et cetera, and, the, and the world will end. But uh, that's not true, because Jesus says, my Father is always at work. I think oftentimes we pray or think, you know, God, or Heavenly Father, I, I pray that, that you would show up. I pray that you would be here. Well, he's already there. Really, I think the prayer should be for me to show up, because God is already there. God is already there before you are. He's with us. He's at work. And that's important because when God's at work, he doesn't do the normal. He goes way above and beyond. That's who God is. As you look in the scriptures about who he is and how he expresses himself, what he does, he doesn't just do the average. He does superior, above all, more than people pray for. Not every time, but a lot of times. It's way above beyond what people ask or think. And this last week, I was sad to learn the death of Kobe Bryant. It was very sad. And the thing I really admire about Kobe was the fact of his work ethic. And when he played basketball, he couldn't just give an average effort. It had to be above all. It had to be superior. It had to be the best he had. And like Michael Jordan before him, he was legendary for his practices. I remember reading an article a few years ago where Kobe in the off-season would get up at about 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning, and drive to the Laker uh, practice gym and practice about for two or three hours every morning. And then he'd practice again in the evening time. And that's the kind of guy Kobe was. He, he wasn't going to give an average effort. And God is the same way. He's not going to simply give an average effort. He's all in. He's all in to the point where he sent the son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. He's all in. Way beyond anybody expected at that time. Sending Jesus Christ to, to this world to die on the cross and be raised on the third day so that you and I can have verse 20 possible in our lives. 
God doesn't do the average. In fact, Jesus says this I, in John 10.10, I came so that they, you and I, can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. And in many ways, Paul is echoing this sort of mission statement, this purpose statement by Jesus, a more and better life than we ever dreamed of. And that's in the message translation. And that's the Christian life. Now, it doesn't mean it's the easiest, but it's the more and better life. And sometimes when God works in our lives and we, we pray, and some of you are like very skeptical right now because like, I prayed this and God never answered. You know what? I look back at my life and God did do the exceeding abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think by not answering certain prayers. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that God, God oftentimes moves in my life and friends that, that I hang out with through unanswered prayers. And I look back and I'm so thankful that he didn't answer that prayer because this happened instead. Sometimes God does that. Second, not only is he at work in the world, why? Why does he do the exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think? Is also he loves to go beyond our beyond. God loves wonder and awe. He likes to knock our socks off. The response of God to us is I can do more. I can do more. I can give more. And I think oftentimes we ask for just the, the small things, like, can, God, can you just do this? And he wants to do much more. It reminds me of a true story of a, a college president I know who was young at the time. It was his first gig as a college president. And he, it was time for a capital campaign, and he went to uh, one of their big donors. And the donor knew exactly why the college president was, was coming, and he was ready to write, write the check, and the college president shared. And, and he asked for a certain amount. And the um, donor wrote the check out, but he gave it to him. And as he gave it to him, he said to him, I was prepared to give a lot more than that. And I think oftentimes we ask for this when God wants to give so much of this to us. Now, take a look at that verse. I'm going to walk you through because what Paul is not only, what he's doing with this is that he's building, he's building on phrases and thoughts. So begin with Abel. Now, unto him that is able, able to do, able to do what we ask, able to do what we think, able to do what we ask or think. We can just stop right there and say, that is awesome, God. That's enough. But he goes beyond our beyond. Able to do above that we ask or think. Doesn't stop there. Able to do above all that we ask or think. Able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. Able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Can I get an amen? Yeah, isn't that, isn't that just so hopeful for you, for you in your lives, for this church, that God is going to go way, way beyond um, our, your wildest expectations? After I transition, I hope that this church grows and thrives more than ever in the 32 history of this church. And I believe that could happen. That's my prayer for this church. And one version says, beyond our wildest dreams. And when Paul puts this phrase together, I want you to note this, exceeding abundantly above all. Those four words, he crams those words together. And he actually, it's like Paul, I th- like one scholar says, I love this, he gets so emotional and he wants, to, he wants a word that really captures this. And he takes these four words, he crams them together, and he creates a brand new word that's not in the Greek lexicon until he writes it. And it's this word, hyperparisio. And it means 
means super abundantly, beyond measure, if you want to fill it in, exceedingly. And he creates this word that was never around. Just like we do today, don't we? I mean, if you hang out with the, the high school students or college students, they're creating new words all the time. Like I just learned this last week, I learned a new word, yeet, Y-E-E-T. And most of you don't know this, these guys know it, right? Yeah, it's something that you don't like, maybe it's whatever, think of, think of something, but something you don't like, you just want to chuck it. You yeet it. <laughs> okay? I, apparently that's what you do. Okay? Another one. Now this word actually exists in our dictionary, but it has a totally different meaning that I didn't even know. So let's say uh, Kevin is going to ask Katie to go to a movie today, and Katie says, bet. That means yes. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, you want to do that today. But bet. Bet. And most of you have, no, you have never heard that word before, but am I right, you guys? Bet. Yeah. I'm like, what in the world? What does that mean? And then uh, Greta told me, you know, if someone says a joke and it's kind of funny, but not really, like, really laugh hard funny, you say LOL. And we know that in, in texting, but yet they actually say that out loud now. So creating new words is not, is not something uh, new to us. And Paul is doing exactly that. He's, he combines this word, it's so powerful, to go beyond our beyond, and that hyper abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. He goes beyond our beyond. And God loves to do this. And it reminds me, actually, a story. Here's a book by Phyllis Schreier, by the way. She tells this story. I love this. One year for my friend's birthday, she told me she was hoping just for a sweet, endearing card from her man. Just a card. And some of you are probably nudging your husbands right now as I read this. Just a card to you from me, along with maybe a few sugary, thoughtful uh, words showing her that he, not a secretary, actually read it before selecting it. Didn't need to play a Lionel Richie song when she opened it. Didn't need to be in a big extra potion envelope. Didn't need to be a special cutout that might hold a pass for a day spa appointment or anything. Just a straight up happy birthday card with customary poor rhyming poem, a poor, poorly rhyming poem inside. That would do it for her. That was her expectation. Shoot, this would have been beyond her expectations given her husband's track record for other birthdays. And sure enough, he did it. When she got home on the afternoon of her birthday, a single card was propped up on the bed of her pillow. How nice. But hey, that wasn't all. Next to the, the, the card was a gift. It was a thin, slenderly, slender, oddly shaped box. Surprise, surprise. Her man now had gone beyond her expecta- expectations. Not just a card, but a gift. It put a huge smile on her face. And she was saying to herself, he is a good man. And she opens up this thin, oddly shaped box and there is an umbrella. Kind of a weird gift. And she's like, oh, you know, at least I got the card. But then he says, I heard it rains in Paris. True story. True story. Some of you guys may want to write that down for your wife's birthday. Uh, or you could say, I, I, heard it rains, I heard it rains in uh, Niswa. <laughs> oh. But yeah, beyond our beyond, that's what God does. And then let's move on. This is an important uh, part of the uh, passage as well, is verse 21, where, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Because as we experience this hyperparisio, is that it also, what it leads to, 
like a stream that leads to a lake or a reservoir that it leads to naturally God's glory. And that's important because God seeks his glory. That's the uh, next fill in the blank. Why? Why does God do this? Because he seeks his glory. And then we read that in verse 21, unto him be glory. And I think for some of us, when it comes to that word glory, it's a kind of a Christianese word. What does that really mean? I want to break it down just a little bit for you. Um, according to the writers of Scripture, the great truth about God is that he's glorious. They, the writers reveled in this. So you'd find it, we find it everywhere in the Bible. For example, Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And this is often misunderstood in our day, I think. And the psalmist is not necessarily saying that creation proves God's existence, but simply this. Creation, the heavens, the earth, humanity tell us something about God. They tell us about his beauty, his wonder, his mystery, his majesty, his power. Glory is the particular excellence of a thing that makes it praiseworthy. The glory of a flower is its beauty. The glory of a strong person is that person's strength. The glory of a meal is its tastiness. And the glory of God is what he does in our lives. Let's take a look at a very, very good passage on God's glory that may help you if that term is new to you. It's this. Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11, the ESV version. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. There's six phrases here that are all about God's glory. For my name's sake, for the sake of my praise, for my own sake, for my own sake, how should my name be profaned? My glory I will, give, I will not give to another. Now, this is important. And I think people ask me sometimes about God. Why does God want this? Why, why, why is he so much into his glory? Is he needy? Does he have a weak ego or something? Uh, Why why does he want to do this? It's because when we worship God, it's the natural response for us to give glory to him. It increases his his reputation. It's who God is. And when we see something glorious, perhaps as uh, Sadie shared this morning, um, the sun rising this morning, or maybe it's a comet, or maybe it's the northern lights, we naturally want to tell somebody. It's part of our joy. We want to express an appreciation of the glory that we have seen. And that's what we see in God, that you and I, as we experience the uh, hyperparisio, is that it naturally leads to glorifying God, sharing our joy with him. And you might be able, in a strange, deep way, to share in the beauty of life, and that's glorious. And God has a glorious God doing a glorious thing, and you and I get to be a part of it as we experience the exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Let me pray. God in heaven, thank you for these words, and I pray that each of us would begin to really um, recapture this verse, verse 20, exceeding abundantly above all. And Holy Spirit, we need your help, because we've had dreams dashed, we've had hopes that have been turned around, and it's... um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to believe in that, but I pray that uh, you would help us lead that out. In your name, amen.